Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Thank you, Brother Dave. Well, I'm back. I must have did something right the last time. So, it, was a, it was a surprise because at the, um, at the men's meeting, pastor said I was doing it next Wednesday. And then he came over to drop off Roxy and Addie at uh, Miss Joni's house, and he saw me. He was like, oh, I'm glad you're here. Can you be ready for this Wednesday? Sure. Let's go with that. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Job chapter 1, please. We're going to be reading out of that today. And this has been something that's been on my mind because I'm a new believer. I've, I've been with the church for about three, almost four years now. And I had a really bad problem with faith. So growing up, I um, I really wasn't in the church system. I really didn't hear the gospel until I was about 17, 18 years old. And that was because I was bored on Wednesday nights and decided to go to church with some friends of mine. And uh, it was a teen ministry that they had at uh, one of the churches in Virginia Beach. And... I stayed there until I graduated high school, and then I kind of left. So the title of this sermon is Just Have Faith. And so Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12 and 20 through 22. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth. There's just lost my place. There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and his household and and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand And touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, before I continue, the the chapter talks about, well, the first chapter talks about what happened after Satan pretty much got permission from the Lord 
to take everything away from Job. You know, he took all of his homes. He took his children, his livestock. Everything was destroyed. I would blame God if, that, if I was in Job's place, and I know a lot of people would. They would curse him, walk away from him, and lose all faith in him. But listen to what happened with Job. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. I know a lot of people would have done that. So, going back, faith is something that you receive from the Lord. I know I have received a lot of faith. Uh, I wouldn't have been healed of my shoulder injuries if I didn't have faith. I know my stepdad would not have stopped drinking because he was a major alcoholic if I did not have faith. Um, my mom... She's getting better with her knees if I did not have faith. Faith gives you that little extra push to keep going and going. So the three points that I want to look at. The first point is, I'll start off with a question. Why did God allow Satan to do this to Job? Well, first and foremost... God wanted to show Satan how loyal Job was to him. You know, Job has done nothing wrong in God's eyes. And he never wavered in his loyalty and never said a curse to the Lord. You know, jo The Lord loves it when we pray, when we tithe. And Job has done all of this. Job was a faithful man. He never did anything wrong. So... Job always gave thanks to the Lord for everything he has received, and to the Lord there was no one more loyal at this time. So that's one point. You, in order to be loyal like Job, you got to give your tithe. You got to pray. Prayer is a massive, wonderful thing. Everybody prays in their own time, in their own way. The second point, after Satan took everything from Job, Job could have cursed God and denied everything and walked away from the Lord. He could have. You know, he had done nothing wrong, and the Lord took everything away. But he didn't. He kneeled on the earth and gave praise to the Lord and did not curse him, nor did he sin. Why? Because he had faith in the Lord. Job knew that all he had came from the Lord, and he knew that one day the Lord would take it all back. Also, he knew if he kept being faithful, God would give him again. God would give him possession again. God would give him a family again. All that just comes from being faithful. The third point, Satan wants us to move away from the Lord, and he will do whatever he can to make that happen in order to stop that from happening prayer and faithfulness is the key to defeating Satan 
You know, the devil wants to use temptation for us. He wants us to move away from the Lord. He wants us to curse him and sin. Don't. Sin is a wrong thing to do. I was, back in my younger days, which was 20 years ago, well, 15 years ago, I was sinful. I sinned everything. The devil will use temptation. He will use a relationship. He will use pornography. He will use drinking, alcohol, smoking, everything. Don't do it. Be faithful. Pray. Prayer is a powerful weapon. If you're feeling that temptation, if you're feeling that pull, get down on your knees, pray, and just have faith. Faith is the most strongest thing we can have as a church, as a church body. Without this right here, I wouldn't be saved. I wouldn't be faithful. I wouldn't pray. When I, uh, last year, I was switching jobs from uh, produce back to security. But I had a misdemeanor on my record. It was something I did a while ago. So I put the application in, did everything I could, went to training. They pulled me out of training and said, you're in a holding pattern. We cannot let you finish until the head boss gives the okay. So I waited. I waited about a month. And I was like, I got to go find another job. I have to. And I prayed about it. I had applied to Uber and Lyft. And so I was driving one day, and I got a notice on my phone, a text message. So I was at a stoplight, and I looked at it, and it said, I have been approved for Uber. That was a major blessing right there because if I didn't get that job, I don't know what else I was going to do. Also, back in August, I lost my place to live. I prayed. Luckily, Miss Joni took me in. That was a sign of faith and loyalty. (laughs) I know I'm such a burden. (laughs) Love you too. But all that would not have been possible if I didn't have faith and if I didn't pray about anything. The, the Lord loves us. And he will do everything in his power to keep us. But we got to meet him halfway with prayer and faithfulness. Satan hates the fact that God loves us. And that we are faithful to the Lord. Satan knew what he was doing when he was speaking to the Lord about Job. He knew what he was doing. He wanted to try to take his most faithful servant away. But he just didn't understand how strong Job's bond was with the Lord and how faithful he was. You know, there's there's a lot of people who have been backslidden, who have never heard the Lord's word before. And we try to get them to come to church and hear and be saved. We also pray with them. That's the one thing we need to learn how to do as a church body is pray and just have faith in what we're saying to them and plant that seed. Once we plant that seed, God takes over and grows that tree inside that person's soul and the heart 
and makes them come back. Makes them come back for a family that we have. So, in conclusion, yes, I did. In conclusion, <laughs> you, can, you can take the college out of the person, but can't take the person out of the college. In order for you to resist the temptation of the devil, your faith has to be stronger than the devil's. He will try everything he can to make you walk away. It, it could have been just easy for me to walk away from the church when I don't have faith. It can be easy. I could just get down and leave right now. But my faith keeps me here. My prayer keeps me here. My family, this is my family, keeps me here. That is when you pray and tell the devil, I have faith in the Lord. And he will guide me through the bad times. Because he will. There's been a number of bad times in my life. I've gotten into real bad accidents on my bicycle, which I can't ride anymore. I've been in car accidents. The car accident last year, I could have been seriously injured. I walked away without a broken bone. Walked away without a broken bone. Walked away with no scratches on me. Just bruising, which hurt a lot. And, and Joni helped me through that. Also, my faithfulness helped me get a new car this past August. <laughs> I forgot about that. So we all know God puts people in places to meet. Well, the officer who responded to my accident, he could have given me a ticket. He could have taken my license away. He said, I'm not giving you a ticket, and I'm not charging you with anything. The first words I'm worth, why? Well, first he called me an idiot, and he called me stupid for what I did. I was on my phone. I was literally texting on my phone. He said, I'm retiring in seven days. I don't want to deal with the paperwork. So that, that's faith right there. <laughs> It's just, if you keep up your prayer and you keep up your faith, there's nothing the devil can do. He will, he will look at your prayer and your faith and he'll just walk away. He'll still try to tempt you, but now you have that shield protecting you. The devil will keep trying to tempt you, but all you have to do is keep the faith strong and continue to pray when you feel poor. When you feel poor, when you feel that poor to the devil, to the dark side. Just say, devil, my faith is in the Lord. I'm going to the light side. I am a Jedi, and you are a Sith. <laughs> so that is my story. Thank you for everything. I want to thank my pastor for allowing me to do this again, and everything. Thank you. Amen. I don't know about you, but I could, um, there's something just great about that, you know, amen, just um, uh, young, new believers just preaching from the heart, just a, it's a, an amazing thing. So uh, uh, Genesis chapter 2 tonight, amen, Patrick had the right idea, he had a sermon printed out, whereas I have a laptop that I'm going to have to be scrolling down continuously, it's not a good look for me. I'm sorry. 
my wife and I uh, recently both we uh, we lost some weight. She um, I lost 32 pounds. She lost 48 pounds. Amen. And so, uh, yes, praise God, praise God. Uh, on, so uh, on a recent trip to my doctor, uh, I was getting my vitals checked, and the nurse was alarmed by my below normal blood pressure. It was 100 over 60. She asked me if I was feeling dizzy. I said, no. Um, I said, well, wait a minute. Isn't 120 over 80 or below, isn't that normal? And she said, well, it used to be. I said, well, what is it now? And she said, "Eh, 130 over 90. Well, really, anything below 140 over 90, we don't get too concerned about. And I, I, I thought that was a little strange. I said, um, why did that change? She said, well, because Americans have changed. I said, well, so, so hang on a second. Americans have changed, as in they've gotten unhealthier? Yeah. So instead of addressing the problem, you guys just move the standard? So, have you noticed that uh, if you go into a fast food restaurant, you order a medium drink, they hand you something that looks like a 7-Eleven double gulp now. This is a medium? My gosh. What about the size of your meal? You notice that you get a lot more fries now with that meal than you used to? What about clothing sizes? Have you noticed that clothing sizes have changed Amen. When I was a teenager back in the, uh, um, I weighed the exact same that I do today, thanks to the ketogenic diet. But um, my mother had to buy me size extra large shirts. That's what the size was back then. Today, for me to get the ex- to the same shirt to f- the uh, to get the same fit that I got back then with an extra large, I have to buy a medium today. So instead of encouraging people to be healthier, the medical, the food, and the fashion industries, they've just changed the standards on us. Americans are bigger now. So the sizes of meals, drinks, clothes, they've just changed right along with them. Now, we've had several epidemics in this country over the past decade. Here's a few of them. How many remember the swine flu? 2009, 70 countries. There were over 22 million cases of the swine flu in the U.S. alone, 3,900 deaths. What about uh, 2010 in California? They had a whooping cough epidemic, 9,400 cases. There were 10 deaths. There was a meningitis outbreak in 2012. Uh, across 23 states. There were 500 cases, 36 deaths. Yet there's an epidemic going on right now that dwarfs all of them. This isn't a virus. It's not a disease. It's a self-inflicted epidemic. Anybody know what it is? It's obesity. Amen. What is obesity? The CDC, that's the Center for Disease Control, says that obesity is weight that is higher than what is considered as a healthy weight for a given height. Body mass index, or BMI, is used as a tool to determine 
overweight or obesity. And to get your BMI, they take a person's weight in kilograms, not in pounds, and they divide it by the square of your height in meters. A high BMI can, uh, can be an indicator of high body fatness. If your BMI is less than 18.5, it falls within the underweight range, underweight. If your BMI is between 18.5 and 25, it's considered normal. 25 to 30 is overweight, and 30 or higher is obese. From the Medical Dictionary Online, they say the mechanism for excessive weight gain is clear. More calories are consumed than the body burns, and the excess calories are stored as fat tissue. However, this was, I, I thought this was a huge admission from them. The exact cause is not clear and likely arises from a complex combination of factors. Do you have that graphic available, sweetheart? Thank you. So this is from the CDC. This is our nation, in case you don't know what it looks like. Um, in, if you, uh, as you notice, as the years click by, the nation gets darker and darker orange. Starts in 2011, few, uh, and and what what's happening is this is the number of people that are reported as obese as the years click by. So less than 20%. 20% to 20 to 25% of the population, 25 to 40 in yellow, or I'm sorry, 25 to 30 in yellow, 30 to 35 in orange, over 35% in dark orange, and as you can see, 2018. It's pretty incredible, right? This is also from the Center for Disease Control. They said obesity is common, serious and costly. The prevalence of obesity was 39.8% of the population and affected 93.3 million of U.S. adults in 2015 through 16. Does that sound like an epidemic? Obesity-related conditions include heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, and certain types of cancer, that are some of the leading causes of preventable, premature death. The estimated annual medical cost of obesity in the U.S. was $147 billion in 2008. And you saw how it's clicked up significantly since then. The medical cost for a person who has obesity was $1,429 a year higher than those of normal weight. From the medical dictionary, obesity can also give rise to several secondary conditions, including arthritis, hernias, heartburn, adult-onset asthma, gum disease, high cholesterol, gallstones, high blood pressure, menstrual irregularities, or cessation of menstruation, decreased fertility, pregnancy complications, shortness of breath that can be incapacitating, sleep apnea, sleep disorders, Skin disorders arising from the bacterial breakdown of sweat and cellular material in the thick folds of skin or from increased friction between the folds. Last, emotional and social problems. 
what causes it. Again, the medical dictionary says the exact cause is not clear and likely arises from a complex combination of factors. Can I suggest something to you tonight? Can I suggest that this is not just a physical problem? Is it, is it the food we eat? Yeah, maybe part of it, but I think there's something deeper. I think there's something that goes far beyond just the food we eat. I think the problem is spiritual. This is not just a physical calories in versus calories out problem. It's a spiritual problem. No magic pill, no special diet is going to solve this problem. As, as much as it pains me to be on the ketogenic diet and you know, the keto diet and see how well it's worked for us, I know that that's not the answer. After, uh, when I was in with my doctor, after he told me that my BMI was perfect, that was his words, not mine, your BMI is perfect, and congratulations on losing all that weight, then he says, but, you know, your cholesterol's a little high, come back and I'll put you on a prescription med. Are you kidding me? The world is always trying to sell you a pill. Amen. But changing you is the real solution. Does the Bible tell us anything about this? Absolutely. So, to understand the purpose of eating, yes, I said eating, we need to look at the first time that eating is mentioned in the Scripture. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. If you have a New King James or a King James Bible, it probably says something like this. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Sound about what your, like what your Bible says? Maybe you have an NIV. It says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. King James Version says, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. The message translation says, God commanded the man, you can eat from any tree in the garden. Now, we all get that, right? You may freely eat from any tree in the garden. You can picture the paradise, all these trees around them. But actually, here's how it actually translates from the original Hebrew. It says, and the Lord God commanded the Adam, that's the man, saying, of every tree of the garden, eat, you must eat. That's the actual translation. Eat, you must eat. So while all of our English translations got the part about God commanding the man right, they get the rest of the phrase wrong saying every tree of the garden you shall surely eat or you may freely eat when the original language says eat, you must eat. So what's this tell us? It would seem that God not only wants us to enjoy the variety of foods uh, that he's provided, but he also commands us to enjoy the variety of foods he's provided. Amen. But that leads us to a problem. If he's commanding us to enjoy all the foods he's given us, wouldn't that lead to something called gluttony? And uh, last I checked, gluttony's a sin, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 23, verse 21 says, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. But God commands us to eat off every tree. 
And then he tells us that gluttony is bad. And if he demands that we eat off of every tree, then if we fasted, wouldn't we be disobeying disobeying him? It would be disobedient to fast. So are these contradictions? The answer is no, absolutely not. God dedicates many chapters in Exodus and Leviticus to dietary laws. You may eat this. You may not eat this. For example, shellfish. God says, don't touch those things. It saddens me to say, but he also says not to eat pork. It hurts my heart to read that. I love me some pork rinds, bacon, sausage. I love it. And to God, God, thank God for the New Testament. Amen. But God dedicates chapter after chapter. You can read through it. Exodus, Leviticus, dietary laws. The Jews call this, they, they call these kosher laws. To this day, the observant Jews still obey these kosher laws. They're very strict. But I would point out that none of the dietary laws include things that grow on trees, fruits or vegetables. All of those are still kosher. But can I tell you something else? Kosher laws don't actually have to do with physical health. Did you know that? There's kosher foods that you might look at that and go, really, you guys can eat that and that's okay with God? It's actually not about physical health. Kosher laws are actually a spiritual exercise. You may eat this. You may not eat this. You know what that's called? It's called self-control. Fasting, we know, that's also a spiritual exercise. Even though it's manifested physically by the act of us denying ourselves food, Even the medical community is now waking up to the benefits of fasting. Dr. Jason Fung, he's the author of The Complete Guide to Fasting, The Obesity Code, and The Diabetes Code. He said this, Intermittent fasting is perhaps the oldest and most powerful dietary intervention imaginable. And it might provide huge benefits if it's done right, including loss of of excess weight, reversal of type 2 diabetes, and many other things, plus it can save you time and money. But back to the Word of God. We looked at Genesis chapter 2, where God says, Eat, you shall eat off of all these trees that I just gave you. But let's go back a little bit further. In fact, let's go all the way back. All the way back to the beginning. Genesis 1.1. You could probably quote it to me, right? In the beginning. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, right? Now, it's interesting that they use that language. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but why didn't God? Why didn't it just say, in the beginning, God created the universe? Wouldn't that have been a little easier? Or how about this? God created everything. They could have just went there, right? Just created everything. But that's not what happened. He didn't just create everything. He actually created two distinct realities. He created the heavens, that's a spiritual reality, and he created the earth, a physical reality. 
Not only that, he created us. We are both physical. We have a body and we're spiritual. We have a soul. Now, if you ever want to discern, well, what's, how do I know whether something's physical or spiritual? Physical things can be measured in a laboratory. How hot something is or cold something is. Uh, how much it weighs, how fast, speed, density. Think, these are things that can be, these are physical things that can be measured in a lab. Spiritual things cannot be measured in a laboratory. Galatians 5.22 tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's that last one? Self-control. Isn't that interesting? Against such, there is no law. These are not things that can be measured. When was the last time you were, uh, when was the last time you measured your goodness? You step on the scale and, and it tells you how much joy you have? So God's first explicit directive to people, when he commands them, saying, off of every tree, eat, you must eat. What he's actually saying, because he repeats this word twice, he tells them to eat twice in the same sentence. What he's actually telling them is we are to, uh, uh, we are to eat for both physical and spiritual reasons. This way we get the full benefit from every morsel of food we take in. You ever think about this? We only have one opening, right, where, where we take in food. Right. If you take food up your nose, you're in trouble. But wouldn't it make more sense um, if if eating were just physical? Wouldn't it be wouldn't wouldn't it make more sense for like God to create us with like a little drawer right here on top of your stomach and just I'm hungry. All right, all better now. Or uh, maybe if you like, if you believe in evolution. Uh, over time, wouldn't our mouth have like migrated down, down, down until it's right on top of your stomach? But interesting, interestingly, uh, did you notice that as our society moves further and further from God and the biblical vision, we find more and more debate about abortion, euthanasia, capital punishment, redistributing wealth, all of this. Should we be surprised that the worse we do spiritually, the worse we do physically? There's a spiritual dimension to eating. You don't believe me? You ever heard of comfort food? What are some of your comfort foods? Go ahead and call them out to me. What are some of your comfort foods? Chicken nuggets. Pizza, okay. Donuts. What? Mac and cheese, okay. Subway? What about you, Marquita? What's it? That's not strange at all. Man, I used to love me a huge bowl of uh, Lucky Charms or Frosted Flakes in the morning. Man, two bowls. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Hey, look, these are comfort foods. But the, the thing is, I, I, for me, I, I love, nowadays, I love tea, I love coffee, and I love some hot cocoa. Oh, man, that's like number one comfort food for me. But... The comfort foods you enjoy might be different than the ones I enjoy. But let me ask you, what is their purpose? 
You're not uh, you when you eat comfort food, you're not eating because you're hungry. You're eating because you need something spiritual, right? You need comfort. So instead of eating to uh, eating to get the benefits of food, you've gone to the opposite extreme. You're making eating only a spiritual exercise rather than keeping a balance between the physical and the spiritual. Really, we should slow down. We should savor every bite. Food is not only a physical experience, nor is it only a spiritual experience. It's both. This is why we should sit down to eat at a table with friends and family as much as possible. Uh, this is from a website called Ancient Jewish Wisdom. It's uh, my, my rabbi. I love Daniel Lappin. He tells us this. The Bible asks us to say a blessing both before and after a meal. Did you know that? Before and after? How many of you say grace before the meal? How many of you say grace after the meal? You do? Wow. Wow, he just trumped us all, everybody. Deuteronomy 8.10, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God. They, they pray before and after. Here's, a, here's a, a Hebrew blessing before the meal. Blessed are you, O God, our Lord, King of the world. And then, whatever they're eating, they say one of these. Who brings forth bread from the ground? Or who creates the fruit of the vine? Or who creates various types of foods if they're eating dessert? Or who creates the fruit of the trees if they're eating fruit? Or the fruits of the ground, if they're eating vegetables. Or everything was created through his word, if they're eating meat or uh, fish or cheese. The blessings relate to the specific food, forcing us to ask questions such as, is what I'm eating, does it grow on the ground or on a tree? What's the main ingredient in this soup? Did I put peanut butter on the cracker because I was craving a cracker? Or was I craving peanut butter and needed a base for it. This discourages mindlessly finishing our children's eggs so not to waste them. We are not alternatives to garbage cans. Or picking <laughs> or picking our way through the pantry while we're cleaning up. <laughs> the Bible urges us to sit down to eat rather than grabbing something on the run. We recite a closing blessing on whatever food we ate, which means, listen to this, we make a conscious decision that we are finished eating rather than nibbling away for hours at a time. As much as possible, we eat with other people rather than alone and are meant to craft a conversation in a way that elevates the meal so that it is a spiritual as well as a physical feast. For mothers with small children, this could translate into taking a, uh, the extra few minutes to actually set ourselves a place at the table, complete with napkin and cutlery, and perhaps reading something uplifting while we eat. You do this with the kids, don't you? <laughs> Read a, a devotional with them at breakfast. Um, even if we only have a, a few minutes allotted to ourselves, once our children are older, we can enjoy their company and make sure we are discussing interesting age-appropriate ideas rather than just eating in silence 
or gossiping. Have you ever heard have you ever heard it said, you know, just loving people will end up hurting you, but if you love God, it will cause you to love people. You've heard this, right? Or how about this one? If you just try to obey the 10 commandments on your own, you'll fail. But if you love God, you'll end up obeying the 10 commandments, right? In the same way, the more correct attitude, uh, the more correct our attitude to food is, the more we will eat in an appropriate way, leading to the side benefit of a healthy weight. A benefit of thinking in this way about food is that it encourages awareness. Um, of course, just like anything else, there's always people that, that obey the letter of the law without the spirit of it. You know, mumbling a, a blessing before. Amen. But if it's done correctly, we should be aware of each and every bite instead of just wolfing it down. We should also be consciously grateful to God for providing us with food as well as understanding that it is meant to serve the purpose of fueling our bodies so that we can accomplish great things for his glory. Our focus should be on taking care of the bodies God graciously allows us to inhabit rather than rather than just on, oh, well, I've got to hit this weight goal. I've got to hit this certain weight point. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You see, the obesity problem is not just a physical problem. It is a spiritual problem. In fact, I'd say it's more of a spiritual problem than a physical one. Think about this. How many times Jesus broke bread with his disciples and with others? Listen to this. John 2, Jesus at the wedding feast of Cana in Galilee. Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. Luke 7, Jesus is anointed by a woman in the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. In Luke 9, he feeds the 5,000. In Matthew 14, he uh, again, he feeds the 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus eats at the home of Mary and Martha. In Luke 19, it's implied that Jesus ate with Zacchaeus at his house. Luke 22, the Last Supper. Luke 24 says Jesus stayed and had supper with two disciples. Uh, on uh, This is after the resurrection. He came back and was still eating. Amen. Luke 24, he ate with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Also in Luke 24, uh, this time he eats with his disciples in Jerusalem. And in John 21, Jesus ate fish with his disciples after his resurrection and the miraculous catch of 153 fish. And how many times were some of Jesus' greatest spiritual lessons they were given during a meal? Amen. So I hope you're, hope you're grasping this. We need to have a right relationship with food. So the, and, and this springs from a right relationship with God, a right relationship, a right understanding that, uh, that he gave us this and he actually commanded us, hey, eat. You must eat. Let me give you some practical advice as we close. If someone invites you out to a meal, take them up on it. Now, before, before my wife throws something at me, 
unless you have prior engagements or unless it's clear that they're not paying for you and you can't afford it. Okay. Other than that, take them up on it. If you invite someone out to a restaurant, be prepared to pay for them. Consider it. How, how about this? Consider it an investment in their spiritual well-being. If you can't afford to take someone out to eat, prepare a meal for them at your home. If you can't afford to make a big meal, guess what? Everyone loves peanut butter and jelly. I have to give credit to Pastor Mitch Collins. He gave me that one years ago. He said, man, we sometimes do PB&J fellowships, man. We get we get a jar of peanut butter, a loaf of bread, some jelly, and a, a gallon of milk. And everybody eats. <laughs> and we just have a good old time. I said, man, that's a great idea. If you're on a special diet for medical reasons or something, that doesn't mean you can't still sit down and have a meal. You just eat what you can. Perhaps the cure to the obesity epidemic is a change in focus from weight and eating to one of awareness and gratitude to God for the food you do eat. The marvelous food. I mean, think about all the things he's provided for us that you can eat. Amen. I know Alonzo going to shout amen. I think about all the wonderful things you can eat. Amen. <laughs> so the answer to a spiritual problem with physical consequences, which is what obesity is. Let's be real. That's, it's a spiritual problem with a physical consequence. The answer to that is a spiritual solution that will also result in a physical, uh, a physical result. The answer is gratitude. You've got to be grateful. Every morsel of food, you, you be grateful to God that he's provided for you in his, in his wonderful, in his grace. I ask you to bow your heads with me tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Perhaps tonight you're you're here in this place and uh, and you're not right with God. Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior. I, I just want to ask. Uh, I I believe I know everybody here, but I do. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.